Hello and welcome in on back to the Blitz on the Balcony podcast. I am your host, Zach Zook. We're presented by Brews on the Balcony. And a little shorter show today. Uh, I think we'll keep it pretty light, pretty brief. Not a ton of stories that have come out, but we do want to hit on the ones that did. I think we'll lead with the uh, Dalvin Cook story. Uh, The contract situation sounds like he's going to hold out this fall. Uh, I also thought we'd take a look at the Super Bowl odds. Who has the best chances to win in 2020? And then I thought we'd take a look at the PFF Top 50 that released a little bit earlier. Um, I think I I, I wanted to do the... I had this idea and uh, ESPN had published uh, basically like a round one of what if the league had a a league-wide redraft. And so I did that practice myself, but I think I might publish that as written because I don't think that would be as good uh, on the podcast. But so look out for that on bruiseonthebalcony.com. But we'll talk about uh, the Dalvin Cook contract situation, the odds on favor to win the Super Bowl in 2020, and then wrap the show up with the PFF top 50, some notable uh, misses on that list. Uh, guys that didn't make the cut, and then some surprising players who you may not have thought much of, but really killed it in 2019. But I want to start out with the Dalvin Cook news, and it was reported that the Vikings offered him an extension for about $10 million a year salary to stay in Minnesota, which he turned down. I think the exact quote from his representatives was they, they were insulted by the offer. They were insulted by the offer, said his representatives, and said he's going to be holding out until, you know, he gets whatever extension, whatever number he deems is is fair. And I think that there's there needs to be a shift in the way running backs are thinking about money because we've seen it feels like now at least one running back per year decides he's going to hold out or thinks he's getting screwed. And in the long run, while that may be true, the positional value for a running back has never been less. You can get them a dime a dozen in the draft. As San Francisco showed us this past fall, you can run all the way to the Super Bowl with seventh round draft choices and mid-round running backs and UDFAs pop up to become quality players all the time. So... It's not as though you need to spend a first-round draft pick to acquire a quality player at that position. And so because of that, a lot of the good ones aren't getting what they feel is fair. And whether it's fair or not, and, and, and I do concede that the running back position monetarily doesn't get what they're worth on the whole anyways. Like, they're, they they can be a better player than you know a mediocre edge defender, and they'll the edge defender will still be paid more. But I think that running backs have to be smarter about this because we've seen now time and time again, you're like if you're waiting for this massive contract extension, it's not coming. And Christian McCaffrey was able to work out a, a record-setting deal, but Christian McCaffrey is also the the only player in NFL history, I think, or the fastest player in NFL history to have uh, three 1,000 yards receiving and 1,000 yards rushing in his career. And I believe he's at 2,500 already for each, which is just astounding. So that's why he's getting paid. 
He also has shown zero injury history so far in his time in the league. Guys like Melvin Gordon that held out last year, Le'Veon Bell who sat out the entire season. How did that go for him? He, he sat out the franchise tag, so he lost all of that money. And then he got, he ended up getting a pretty good, de- decent deal from the Jets, which like if Mike McCagnan had been fired before free agency, I think Le'Veon Bell would be playing now for a fraction of the, of the price he's playing at uh, under his current deal. But the, the, the Dalvin Cook situation just kind of boggles my mind because he wants, you know, Christian McCaffrey type money and the output isn't even close. I, I had heard that he wanted... 16 million dollars a year the the Vikings offered him 10 now you can make the argument that Dalvin Cook is the focal point of the offense I think you'd be right and Dalvin Cook is 100% a top 10 running back he can catch the ball out of the backfield like Christian McCaffrey he is a great zone runner perfect for that scheme in the modern NFL and he feels like he the 10 million dollars is insulting and I I just I just don't think that's the case. Like, I pulled up his game log, and here's the thing. He played four games his rookie year in 2017. He played 11 games in 2018, and he played 14 in 2019. Now, mind you, the year he played 14, they played two playoff games. So, Dalvin Cook has yet to make it through a full season. He has had one season in which he has rushed for over 650 yards in a single year. That was this most recent year in 2019 where he really broke out. 250 attempts, 1,100 yards, averaged 4.5 yards a carry. He scored 13 touchdowns, and I mean, he was exceptional. Only fumbled the ball three times, added 500 yards receiving. He was excellent. He was amazing. However, in 2018 and 2017, he rushed for 600 yards respectively and then 354, and he didn't make it through the season. Didn't make it through the season hole in 2019 either. And so when your availability, like the, the Vikings have had to play games without him every single year since he's been drafted. Like, I'm, I, I'm sorry, that matters when we're talking about paying you money, especially when you take in recent contracts into consideration, like the Todd Gurley fiasco. Like, I, I, I have to take that history into account. And let me look. He he only has three seasons of tread on the tires. I don't know if this is going to show me his age. Bummer. And he has, rushing-wise, he has less than 500 attempts still. But his injuries have been significant, too. I believe it was an ACL back in 2017. And, you know, like, those don't get better over time. And I just don't understand why he wants to go to war with Minnesota over this when he has to understand that he plays the least valuable position in the NFL in terms of money, the easiest position to fill a need because of how these guys are entering the league. Philip Lindsay, undrafted free agent. Kareem Hunt, third or fourth round out of Toledo. These guys are coming out every single year. So these first round running backs, these second round running backs, like in Dalvin Cook's case, Melvin Gordon was a first round pick. Zeke was a first round pick. Christian was a first round pick. Fournette, who can't get a new deal, was a first round pick. These guys want to be paid like they're, you know, corners or edge defenders. 
And the fact of the matter is, after your rookie deal, like I'm kind of done with you. I don't want to pay you the big bucks when you get into your late 20s. Especially, I don't want big guaranteed money on the books. I would much rather throw that at a quarterback. I would much rather throw that at a at good players in free agency to give myself a better team, a better chance to win. De- devoting high cap numbers to the running back position has never been a method of success. And you can point to different teams giving out deals. Well, the Cowboys paid Zeke. Well, the Cowboys didn't make the playoffs this last year. Now they got to pay Dak. Now they got to pay Amari. They're going to have a significantly worse team when you look up in a year or two. And you look at the Rams, who have already cut Todd Gurley. And it's not just because of the Todd Gurley signing. They've had mishaps all along the way, but it certainly didn't help. Once you pay Todd Gurley, once you pay Jared Goff, the roster is significantly worse because you can't afford to keep that outside linebacker that gives you consistent and solid production all season long. You have to let him walk. You can't pay the safety that graded at an 80-plus per PFF for you. you got to let him walk. You can't afford to keep him because you decide to pay a, what, a running back? Who gives a shit? Draft a guy in the third round next year. Draft a couple. San Francisco ran to the Super Bowl with Raheem Mostert, who had played on seven different NFL teams before he landed in San Francisco. They had Tevin Coleman on the roster, hurt. Jerick McKinnon on the roster, hurt. Raheem Mostert and some of these other no-name guys, Matt Breida. That's how they got it done. And it's because they haven't invested big money in the running back position. Now, Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon are free agent signing, sure. And Jarek McKinnon got a pretty nice deal for doing absolutely nothing in San Francisco. But those deals, while they maybe seemed lucrative at the time for the player, they weren't lucrative for the position on the whole. It's not like they were giving him Dalvin Cook money. It's not like they were giving them Christian McCaffrey money, Zeke money, Melvin Gordon money. Melvin Gordon sits out for three, four games. The Chargers don't miss a beat. Austin Eckler is going the fuck off. Yeah, well, Melvin, we really don't need you, buddy. Like, I think that the the running backs in the league just have to get a better grip on reality here because they're screwing themselves out of money. They think that they're holding out for a better deal, but in reality... The money you lose by sitting out, you never make that up because you're never going, like you're waiting around for this big deal that's never coming. And for in Dalvin Cook's case, again, top 10 back, breakout season in 2019. Love him as a player. Very good player. Let's quit pretending he's Le'Veon Bell or uh, Christian McCaffrey though. Like, like he's not. He's not even in the same stratosphere as those guys. I think it's really easy to forget now that Le'Veon had kind of a subpar year on a shitty Jets team and sat out the year before just how good he was with the Steelers. In fact, I kind of want to look his numbers up because people kind of act like he's chop liver here and he's he's insane. Let's, let's look. His last year with the Steelers in 2017, 12.91, averaged four yards a carry, nine rushing touchdowns. He had 655 yards through the air. The year before that, 1,200 yards, 4.9 a carry, seven touchdowns on the ground, 600 yards uh, in the air, 75 receptions. He's caught 60-plus balls in every season since 2014. He has topped 75 in three of those seasons. He has gone over 600 yards receiving in three different of those seasons. 
in addition to rushing for over a thousand, over 1,200 yards in three of those seasons. I mean, to, to pretend that guys like Dalvin Cook, who is a good player, again, I concede that fact, very good player, but let's quit pretending he's in, in the upper echelon of these of the truly, truly elite, he's not there because he can't. He has yet to make it through a full season, and he doesn't post the same numbers as those guys. So I just I, I think that he needs to realize, you know what? I am playing for a pretty good franchise right now in Minnesota, a team that's got it rolling, a team that's been one of the more consistent franchises, you know, since Mike Zimmer took over in what was it, 2013, 2014? Been one of the better franchises have a good defense. They're improving the offensive line. He's the focal point of the offense. The people in Minnesota absolutely love him. Like maybe maybe you just take what they're paying you. You know, and I'm not and I'm not advocating to take less money either. But to suggest like you think you're going to make all this money on the open market and you're not. And if you sit out this year, you're never never going to make that money back. Le'Veon Bell didn't even make it back, and he got a huge deal from the Jets, which the Jets were actually stupid to offer him. So, like, is it really worth it? And again, this just everybody's different, but to me, it's like, and this is where I fall on the Dak Prescott situation too. Like, is it really worth it to make an extra three million dollars a year if you have to make it playing for the Jaguars and you just get your ass kicked for three months every season and you win four games every year? Or maybe you take $2 million less a year, $2, $3 million less per year, you make that money back in incentives or bonuses or whatever, and stay on a good team in the city that drafted you with the fans that like you, you'll get more endorsement deals that way. Like it just, it seems like kind of a no-brainer to me, and I just think that these guys, I think it's more about status and respect, but they have to start looking at the bigger picture at the running back position, I think, when it comes to these deals and these holdouts. Because M- Melvin Gordon, who finally got a deal to go to the Broncos, like, he he didn't get what he wanted. At least not what he was he was holding out for at the time with the Chargers. None of them are. So let's move on. Let's talk about the Super Bowl in 2020, assuming we have a Super Bowl in 2020. I want to look at the odds-on favorite for Vegas and take a look at what we think of those odds. The Kansas City Chiefs are the favorite at 4-1, to one, and I think that they are. They have to be considered the Super Bowl favorites again to repeat. I know that Baltimore probably had the best team. Well, I'd actually maybe say that the 49ers were a better team than Baltimore. Would have been an interesting you know, matchup had they matched up in the Super Bowl, but uh, yeah, I think I'd have to go with the with the Niners in that one. And then now they played in the regular season, I believe that was the rain game, and Lamar Jackson won it, right? So uh, I I do think though I kind of would in a winner take all scenario, I think I'd bet on the 49ers over over the Ravens, but uh, Kansas City Chiefs at four to one, I like that. I I think that the Chiefs are going to be even better than they were last year, and. Now with some continuity, they draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. That was really the one piece that they've been missing from the, the team since Kareem Hunt got into the legal trouble was the running back piece. And they utilized the running back position and were forced to lean on the running back position a little bit more because of Alex Smith's limitations. But Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a perfect fit for the Kansas City offense. And I think he's going to hit the ground running there. So 
I know that people think the AFC West is going to be good, and the AFC West is good. Like the the Broncos are resurgent. The Chargers have an awesome team, but they have a question mark at the quarterback position. The Raiders are the are by far the worst team in the division, but it's not like they're you know one of the worst franchises in the NFL right now. I mean, they have some very interesting players on the team. Derek Carr. They have Josh Jacobs, who would have run rookie of the, would have won rookie of the year had he not gotten injured. So. Uh, by no means is the division easy, but I just think that, you know, the cream always rises and the good teams in the NFL, it, it typically doesn't really matter how good the division is because they're, they're going to beat those teams anyways because they're better than them. So I I can see the Kansas City Chiefs rattling off something like 14 wins this year. I, I, I really can. If, if they get in sync and, and they don't have much turnover this offseason, I think that's going to be huge with the impact of coronavirus. Do you have to teach a lot of guys new schemes and new install? No, they have the same quarterback. They have the same head coach. It's the same skill guys it's always been. Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, and then they just had the running back into the fold. And it's not as though Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to be asked to tote the ball all the that that often. You know, he's not going to be the focal point of the offense like uh, the subject of our prior conversation, Dalvin Cook is. Like if Dalvin Cook's not going, well, then the Vikings are kind of in trouble. Edward is going to be used as more of a complimentary piece uh, more than anything. So I like the Chiefs at 4-1, to one, even though you obviously don't get the odds there. I think that that's a nice bet. The the Ravens followed up at 13-2. to two. I hate the Ravens. I just... They have to, pre- like, it doesn't matter how many games you win in the regular season. I, I just really don't care about that anymore. They were boat raced by the Titans this past year in the playoffs. And the year before that, they got uh, destroyed by the Chargers. So they have to figure out how to do it in the postseason. And I think that since they're so one-dimensional offensively, it really hurts them when they get in these do-or-die situations. And I love Lamar Jackson. I think he's an awesome player. Hope he's able to stay healthy, but he has to prove that he can pick you apart from the pocket or they're never going to be a Super Bowl threat in my mind. They could go 16-0, and but when they get in the playoffs and it's 3rd and 9 and you're down a score, are they going to be able to complete a pass at the sticks? That's what the Super Bowl contenders can do, and I just don't know if the Ravens have really proven that they can do that under this current structure of their roster because... With these run-heavy teams, what happens is if it just takes one negative play to get you behind schedule, and once you're behind schedule, the offense can't function as designed, and therefore it puts the offense at a disadvantage. Now, Lamar Jackson was is, is better as a passer than I thought he was going to be, and he was better in 2019 than he was in 2018. He took a major step forward. So if he can do that again, there's no reason why the Baltimore Ravens can't go to the Super Bowl and win it. However, I'm, I'm betting numbers and you're betting odds, right? I'm just, I, there's other teams I'd rather take a chance on than the Ravens who haven't proven to you that they can get it done in the postseason. I'd be much more inclined to bet on a team like the Saints at 12 to 1 odds than I would be at, at the, the Ravens at 13 to 2 odds. Because the Saints, it's, it's likely going to be Drew Brees' last season and they've been Oh, so close, so many times. I, I feel like there is no other team motivated to win a Super Bowl in the NFL as much as the Saints are right now because of their heartbreaking defeats in the postseason. You get the NFC Championship game two seasons ago, the uh, missed PI, and then you have the 
overtime defeat at the hands of the Vikings at home. And it was three years ago they lost to the Vikings again. The Stephon Diggs, Minneapolis miracle. The, the, the Saints just haven't been able to catch a break in the postseason. And if there's any team, again, with a core of guys, Sean Payton trying to win one more with Drew Brees, Drew Brees trying to win one before he retires and goes off to NBC to call games, this young core of guys that are still relatively cheap, Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, the defensive core, Marcus Davenport, uh, they got Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, you know, all, all these guys on the defensive side of the ball that uh, are going to be are going to become more expensive. Now, Cam Jordan, Demario Davis, those guys are veterans. But like the Marcus Davenport's of the world, the Marcus Williams, Marshawn Lattimore, uh, I think they got to give Eli Apple an extension here pretty soon. Alvin Kamara's on the cheap. Uh, so they they are highly motivated to win now before they have to start, who knows, Jameis Winston next year. Is it Taysom Hill? Are they going to draft a guy? Are they going to sign a guy? The Saints' future is very cloudy. But the present, they need to go for it. And I think that they're a good team to do so. I would stay away from the Bucs at 12-1. to Like, how the Bucs have the same odds to win the Super Bowl as the Saints is beyond me. I understand you add Tom Brady and Robert Gronkowski. But you're adding a 42-year-old quarterback and a tight end that had been retired and had cut, like, 50 pounds of weight. Is Rob Gronkowski going to be the same guy? I don't think so. Now, I don't think he has to be because they have Cameron Brayton. They have O.J. Howard. But I, I am a little hesitant to, to bet on the Bucks Now, if you're betting on them to win the division, that's another thing. Because I think that that's a possibility. Or to get into the show as a wild card, absolutely. But to win the Super Bowl this year with all the new pieces, again, with Corona, the limited OTAs, you're going to have setbacks in terms of how you're getting the information. Now, if there's anybody that can overcome it, it's Tom Brady. But... As, as hard of a studier as he is, there's really no substitute for on-field reps with guys you've never played with before, especially in game situations when real bullets start flying. You, there's only so much you can do. So there's going to be, I think, some growing pains in Tampa as Tom Brady adjusts to a completely new franchise. He's been in New England since he was, you know, a 20-year-old. He Now he's playing for Bruce Arians, who's like the complete antithesis of of Bill Belichick. He's playing in an offense with all these weapons and a completely different offensive ideology than was the case in New England. So I wouldn't take the Bucks 12 to 1. I'll tell you what some of my some of my favorite bets are though. As we look at some of these longer odds teams, the uh Tennessee Titans at 35 to 1 is intriguing. Uh because they're going to return everybody. Now, the biggest hurdle that the Titans have is quarterback play. Can Tannehill repeat what he was able to do at the back half of 2019? And I feel like his performance really got swept under the rug because of how great Derrick Henry was and how Mike Vrabel got all the credit and how good the defense was. But Ryan Tannehill, I, I mean, I sat there and watched. He, he made several, several key throws to keep drives alive so they were able to salt away these teams. When Derrick Henry did get stuffed on first and second down, and they had to complete that third and ten pass, Ryan Tannehill made it in the postseason too against the Ravens when they were trying to mount a comeback. Ryan Tannehill had a great second half of 2019, and talent hasn't really been the issue with him since he came into the league. It's it's he has the Sam Bradford issue; he just keeps getting hurt year after year after year. He's just unavailable, and so I think if he can stay healthy 
and the Titans, who really have very little turnover, have a very good roster and a good chance to get into the postseason again in January where nobody wants to tackle Derrick Henry. They're going to be tough outs. I think they're going to get to the postseason, and I think they're going to be tough outs. So because of the odds, 35-1, to 1, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd jump all over that. You know another team that's interesting to me is the Bears at 40-1 to 1 odds. They went 8-8 eight and eight last season, and Mitch Trubisky was terrible, terrible. And Khalil Mack was beat up. He had a down year. Akeem Hicks was hurt for a good portion of the season. Now, I think that it's more likely that they don't even make the playoffs than win the Super Bowl. But at the odds, again, 40-1 to 1 odds, if Nick Foles can just be decent— and the defense can be a little better than they were in 2019. This is a team that went is a year removed from going 12 and four and dominating the North. So I don't think it's inconceivable to think that they could get back to that form if they just had decent quarterback play. I mean, Mitch Trubisky was awful. Now the problem is Mitch Trubisky, I think, is going to be the starter. Now there's different opinions on that, especially from Bears fans, but. I think that it's going to be Trubisky's job to lose going into the year. And uh, if he performs poorly, there's going to be a short leash. But the week one starter, I'd anticipate it being Trubisky. And that's that's awful. They're not going to win the Super Bowl with Mitch Trubisky. So if he starts eight games and they are reluctant to put Foles in until they're kind of already behind the eight ball or out of it, that's the issue with picking the Bears at 40-1. to one. But... They were inserting a new defensive scheme last year under their new defensive coordinator, Chuck Pagano, because Vic Fangio left. And so they are in year two of that. They should be getting some guys back healthy. And if they can just improve their quarterback play and improve their play on the offensive line, Allen Robinson was fantastic last year. They drafted a tight end with their first pick to finally hopefully solve that problem. They picked up Jimmy Graham. They have like nine on the roster, but I think the answer is the guy they picked in Cole Komet, and I'd expect him to play. They'll have David Montgomery in the second year of his deal. So so I like the I like the Bears at 40 to 1 odds. I don't think that's a terrible pick. Uh and other long odds teams. New England at 25 to 1 is obvious. I mean, it's, just, it's Belichick. Everybody's pretending like New England's going to be one of the worst teams in the league this year. I, there was like, what was it Pete Prisco or Peter King or somebody came out with a, with a uh, NFL power rankings and had the Patriots listed like 22? Are you kidding me? Let's, let's quit pretending that Tom Brady was a top five quarterback last year. I mean, he's good. Still, still a very good player. But he is not, you know, the end-all, be-all of that team. And when you watch that team function, it's not as though they were just winning games on the back of Tom Brady. They had historically the best defense through eight games in the history of American football. So to pretend that the New England Patriots are just going to fall off a cliff, like, I'll take the New England Patriots at 25-1 to all day. And that's, in fact, my favorite bet probably on the board uh, because the sole reason they're 25-1 to is because there's no Brady, there's no Gronk. Well... Bill Belichick is the best schemer in the NFL. He's probably the best coach in the history of the league. I believe in Jared Stidham a little bit more than I think most people do. I don't think he's going to be shitty. And if he is, they'll just, hey, screw it. We'll draft a guy or we'll figure it out. You know, they don't think about the quarterback position like a lot of other teams do. And Jared Stidham, a lot of people 
kind of gloss over the fact that he was going to be a first-round pick heading into his senior year at Auburn, and then stuff kind of blew up on him. But he had the traits and the pedigree before that to be a first-round pick. And he was talked about as potentially being the number one quarterback off the board before that fall started. I remember reading all the articles. And so the Patriots, again, get a value with Stidham, and now he's finally going to get a chance to prove it. So um, that's kind of what I think about the Super Bowl odds. Uh, We'll talk, obviously, more and more about these teams in depth as we move on through uh, the offseason and get closer to the 2020 season. That's kind of how I see the Super Bowl odds, according to Vegas. Okay, the final thing I want to talk about today is the PFF Top 50, where they rated the Top 50 players, according to them, heading into the 2020 season. The... As with any list, you know, they had, uh, there's obviously some controversy, people that got snubbed that uh, others thought should be on it. Uh, and the most notable stu- snub was Aaron Rodgers. And so we're going to talk about a little bit about the list uh, and who who was on it, who was left off of it, where they kind of ranked, why the ranking was given, uh, and some kind of kind of just my thoughts on it. Um the biggest snub, obviously, being Aaron Rodgers, uh, it made the rounds kind of in the news cycle uh, for not being in the top 50. So I thought that was interesting because I saw a lot of people kind of angry about that. Like, he's not a top 50 player in the NFL. Like, what are you thinking? And I think independent of positional value, he's not anymore. And... I watched, obviously, I've watched every Packers game for the last several years, and I've watched him kind of deteriorate a little over time, and not that he's a bad player, but I I tweeted this out too, some perspective for this. Just how good you have to be to be a part of any top 50 list as it relates to the NFL. So the percentage of people who play high school football that end up playing at all in college is 6%. 6% of high schoolers that play football will play in college. 1.7% of that 6% that goes on to play in college gets drafted into the NFL. And the top 50 players in the NFL makes up 2.9% of the league. And I took that on a 53-man roster for 32 teams. So it's really kind of... it puts in. I think it helps put in perspective. Like, it's not like they're slighting somebody by leaving them off. Like it's so, uh, it's just very hard to do. So the interesting thing about Rodgers being left off is I think that based on his stats and his, it's been a linear regression really since about 2016. Since the whole Anthony Barr collarbone incident, it's been one thing after another. Then he gets landed on by Roy Robertson Harris and is injured all of that year. Then he was healthy the next year, but they ended up having a terrible season. Mike McCarthy gets fired. He was healthy this season, but it's Matt LaFleur's first year. He dropped off a cliff tremendously in terms of the past game, learning a completely new offense. Uh, He has started to get to the point now where I think his age is showing. And what had always made Aaron Rodgers great, and still does, is his mobility and the ability to create out of nothing. He uses the play after the play more than any quarterback in the league. And now, with his athleticism waning, he's not able to run from the defensive lineman like he once used to be able to. And if you look at Aaron Rodgers' throwing mechanics, they're awful. They're terrible, and they always have been. 
And he was able for so long in his career to overcome it with his arm talent. And you still see that arm talent. It's just in flashes now more than it is consistently every play. And as somebody that watched the you know every Packers game this past couple seasons, you've noticed it. And I think I started noticing it maybe two, two and a half years ago. He would start missing easy throws. It's just one or two here and there. And since then, it's grown to where he's missing a couple layups a game. Throws that he should not miss. Screen passes that he'll throw at a guy's ankles because he just throws off his back foot because why not? Because he's developed some bad habits that he used to be able to get away with that he's not able to get away with anymore. They're also running an offense that is not as explosive, that is more centered around Aaron Jones and the offensive line and the running game than it is around Aaron Rodgers making plays on the run to his receivers. The offense isn't built around that anymore. And the Packers offense was at its best when they played in rhythm and Aaron Rodgers was using the quick game to throw against teams. Well, that's what they're going to have to do more and more of as he ages. And I think what PFF's getting at here with his grades, with uh, the top 50 list is, listen, this isn't going to get better probably. You know, this is a linear decline. And Aaron Rodgers who has been beat up over the course of his career, has not been able to stay as clean as Brady and Breeze, who are just pocket guys. They get rid of the ball pretty quickly, and therefore they take a significant amount, less amount of hits. Aaron Rodgers has taken a lot of hits in his career, and he's had had some injuries now stack up on him. And so he needs to clean up those bad habits, and I think he can overcome a lot of it. But the fact of the matter is, it's probably going to stay that way. And, and this current Aaron Rodgers, while he's still certainly a top 10 quarterback and in a vacuum you take him there, when we're talking about the top 50 players at the NFL and the peak of their powers, he just probably isn't there. And as we look at the top guys on the list here, let's just look at the top 10. Aaron Donald, one, is a no-brainer. Yes, absolutely. Patrick Mahomes, two, no problem with that. Julio Jones, three, and Quentin Nelson, four. George Kittle, five. They got Michael Thomas, six. Russ at seven. Lamar at eight was... Kind of shocking to me. Uh, I and I know he's he's the MVP. Uh, it, it can't be that controversial, but it's it was a little bit interesting to me that they had him in the top ten players of the entire league. Uh, Christian McCaffrey, number ten. So this is independent of positional value. Drew Brees was listed at eleven. They have Patty Mahomes and Russ at one two, and I think that that's fair. You have two guys in the peak of their powers in Patty and Russ. And then you have the veterans. You have the Tom Brady, the Drew Brees, uh, Ben Roethlisberger, Aaron Rodgers, and Matt Ryan, I guess you could throw in that mix too. But are we going to pretend that those guys in their late age are really more valuable than players like Lamar, players like even Kyler Murray, for example, Uh, players like Patty, players like Russ, who's over 30, but is still right in the prime of his career. I kind of get it, and and I didn't. I wasn't shocked when Aaron Rodgers was on the list. I didn't get why it was a story. So that's just kind of my take on it from a guy that's watched you know every Packers game. I don't think he was slighted in the least bit. So the other one that was a huge snub, they put Richard Sherman at number fourteen heading into twenty twenty, and I think that's a little crazy because he is a limited zone corner at this point, and he can talk as much shit as he wants, and I really like him, you know, for the most part uh, as a guy, and I love his game and his attitude, but 
the fact of the matter is, like, if he has to play in press or he has to play bump and run, like, he's getting burned. And so I don't understand how he is rated as the 14th best player in all of football, just two spots behind Stephon Gilmore, who was basically a, a blanket around wide receivers all season. Like, do you really think, like, I just don't understand, like, Richard Sherman right now is better than Trey White? No way. No way he's better than Trey White. No way he's better than some of the some of the younger stud corners we've seen come into the league. So uh, that one I think is a, was a little bit uh, out of whack. They let's see if they have anybody else here. JJ Watt at thirteen. I mean, yeah, if he's on the field, he's awesome. But and I don't know if they took that into account. I think they're taking it into on field account or best players coming into twenty twenty. Like can't predict injuries, I guess. But uh, the big snub was Saquon Barkley, and. I th- I do vehemently disagree with that. <laughs> Saquon Barkley is probably a top twenty player in all of football. I think, and and we were gonna do the redraft, and I think I'm gonna post it on Brews, but and rather than talk about it as a segment here, but I think if you did a draft, it, Saquon Barkley would be taken in the first round of all t- of all NFL players. Like if you just were restarting the league and everybody redrafted their teams, I think Saquon would be a first round pick because of his age his durability and just how special he is I think he's every bit as good as Christian McCaffrey it's just more about the scheme and how he's used I mean one plays for the Panthers where they get him the ball constantly and one plays for the Giants where they really don't have any innovation they've had Eli Manning they've had a terrible offensive line they've had David Gettleman stinking the place up like the Panthers while they've gone through an ownership change and they fired Ron Rivera themselves, have been a pretty competent organization over the course of the last several years. So uh, I really just think it comes down more to usage than actual ability because I there's not anything that Christian McCaffrey can do that I don't think uh, Saquon can do. Like I think they're both equally special in terms of running and their ability to make guys miss. Uh, I think Saquon's actually maybe even a little bit better of a runner than McCaffrey is. I think McCaffrey's a more special receiver than Saquon, but Saquon's a pretty special receiver too. So uh, I don't understand how he's 10 and then Saquon's off the list. Maybe it's yards per carry and they're looking at some of those stats, but I think you have to take the level of dependency into account. And again, the situation where these guys are playing, I think if you dropped Christian McCaffrey in New York and had him playing for the Giants, he would have put up similar numbers to Saquon. And I think if you dropped... Saquon in place of McCaffrey in the Panthers offense that his numbers would be pretty similar to Christian's so uh outside of that I don't think I really had any huge disagreements with this I was happy to see Daniil Hunter for the Vikings sneak into the top 50 here I think he's another player that uh if if you did the redraft he'd get taken in the first round Daniil Hunter is 25 years old like he's 25 years old and he is a dominant edge rusher a guy that has the prototypical size that can he can hold up in the run game, he really kind of reminds me of Khalil Mack in terms of like his body type and how well balanced he is. Daniel Hunter is a complete stud, and he has his best football ahead of him, which is the scariest part of it. But I don't know if it's because he plays for the Vikings or what, but it always felt like, too, Everson Griffin would get more of the talk. But Daniel Hunter's the better player and has been for a, a little while now. So uh, it's good to see him kind of get get some get some recognition in the top fifty. Uh, let's see who else here. Surprised Deshaun Watson wasn't higher. Only forty three for him. 
Nick Bosa at 41. Uh, so, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of uh, my takeaway from it, and that'll do it for our show. Thank you so much for making us a part of uh, your week. We will see you next week. I think we're going to run the show through the end of June and then take a break uh, and then ramp it up as as kind of training camp opens up, but maybe take part of July off. But uh, we'll keep it running through the end of June at least, and uh, we'll have some, have some fun stuff to talk about, maybe do some top 10 lists, maybe talk about some guys preview the teams a little heading into the 2020 season and any any new stories that uh develop but uh for now so long and we'll see you next week